0: Today we'll be talking to Brian Ahern, Senior Sales Consultant focused on teaching and applying the psychology of persuasion to improve business success, along with Stephen Hunkler, Senior Vice President, Chief Claims Officer, Risk Control Officer for State Auto. I want this Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will prepare them to lead their organizations in the dynamic times we're currently facing. The more highly effective leaders we have, the better the journey. In addition to sharing models and experience, I invite you to find one thing from each weekly segment you can put into practice in your own leadership. Think about this. When was the last time you updated your mobile device? Now in comparison, when was the last time you changed the way you led yourself or your organization? So the invitation today is think about one to two things you can take away from what you hear from Brian and Steven that you can apply to your own life and business practices. Think about a project you're working on and how that might happen. Authentic persuasion is a critical skill for leaders moving their organizations into the future. They need to see a vision and enroll the organization in moving toward that vision. We'd like you to leave today with a clear understanding of why applying persuasion is so important in your professional and your personal lives, with a few ideas of how you might improve your own skills. You may also ask as an emerging leader, I'm not setting the vision for my entire organization, but you may be setting the vision for subgroups and also in your personal life. So please do listen for ways that you can apply this. I want to start with sharing some brief bios. Um, Brian is a senior sales consultant who applies, or who specializes in applying influence and persuasion in everyday situations. He's one of only 20 individuals in the world who currently hold the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. This specialization in the psychology of persuasion was earned directly from Robert B. Cialdini, Ph.D., the most cited social psychologist in the world when it comes to the science of ethical persuasion. And Brian will talk about the distinction between persuasion and ethical persuasion. Brian provides persuasion training targeted at sales and customer service improvement. He's a cum laude graduate from Miami University. He's been in the insurance industry for nearly 30 years and part of the state auto group since 1990. Brian also writes a weekly blog called Influence People which has readers in 200 countries. Influence People was named one of the top 30 psychology blogs of 2012 by the online psychology degree guide. Um, I've been reading Brian's blog for a number of years and find it amazingly helpful. Now we'll switch to Stephen Hunkler, who joined State Auto in August of 2009 as the chief claims officer. He's currently responsible for all pre-loss and post-loss initiatives for a claim loss control and premium audit standpoint for personal lines commercial lines and specialty books of business for over 30 years steve has held many senior leadership roles at other property and casualty insurance carriers such as zurich aig travelers cna balboa insurance group steve is recognized snatch nationally and in ohio as the industry and community leader He serves as the chairman of the Ohio Insurance Institute, and that's from 2015 to 17, board of directors for the Ohio Insurance Guarantee Association, board director of Central Ohio American Charities, claims litigation management advisory board member, and the chancellor of the Claims College. He served as a co-chair of the Chief Claim Officer Summit 2012 to 2015. So we're going to start with Brian talking about persuasion, and then Steve will talk about the benefits State Auto has received from their investment in persuasion. So let's move to Brian directly. So Brian, how did you get involved with the industry with persuasion of psychology?
2: Okay, well first of all, Maureen, thanks for inviting me to be on the show. I love talking about this because I'm passionate about the subject. The way I got involved with the psychology of persuasion is I'd been doing a lot of sales training for state auto insurance for many years. And somebody who had been in our department came down one day. She was studying for her uh, master's at The Ohio State University and had a videotape of Dr. Robert Cialdini at Stanford University talking about the psychology of persuasion. And she said, I think you guys, meaning myself and my boss, would really like this. So we watched the video and the light bulb came on. It, was, it explained all of the sales techniques that we'd been teaching for years. It was the psychology behind that and why those techniques were so effective. And what I like is that when you understand why something works, you can go beyond learning simply a technique. And so we started utilizing that videotape in some of our training sessions. And then uh, fate led us to uh, end up having a relationship with Dr. Cialdini. And then years later I got certified and it's just kind of taken on a life of its own.
0: Thank you. So, what exactly is persuasion?
2: Well, the best definition that I've heard for persuasion so far is Aristotle's. And Aristotle says that persuasion is the art of getting somebody to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. So, if you think about it, it's a great definition because if people are doing what you want, you don't need to ask. You don't need to interact with them in any way to change their behavior, but quite often people aren't doing either what we want them to do, need them to do, or believe is in their best interest to do. And so how we interact with them, how we communicate may make all the difference between them saying yes or no. So it really is about changing behavior, getting someone to do something that they're not currently doing. So this seems like a skill that's really important for pretty much anyone in a leadership role. Uh, Absolutely, whether it's leadership, sales, parenting. I often tell people that uh, understanding persuasion is in large part, uh, helps your success professionally, but also on a personal level, your happiness. Because if you think on the professional level, uh, quite often it starts with just getting hired. You're having to persuade a number of people that you're the right person for the job. But when you get into a position, for example, with leadership, you may have a great vision, you may have great strategy, but if you can't get your team on board, You're not going to be able to move that forward. I think it was Jack Welch once said that nearly everything I've accomplished in life has been with other people. So brilliant business person, but yet he recognized that without the aid of other people, he wasn't able to make those things come to fruition. The challenge that we face, though, Dale Carnegie, in his book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, said the biggest challenge you'll face is dealing with people especially if you're in business. So we need people and yet they can be our biggest challenge. And if we understand how they think and behave and we're willing to change our communication, we can enjoy a lot more professional success. On the personal side, uh, having been married for 27 years, having a 19 year old daughter, I can tell you, that at home, life is much more peaceful and happy when my spouse willingly does what I'd like her to do or when our daughter <laughs> willingly does what we want her to do. And
0: how often is that? And
2: uh, it's a lot more than you might think. If you if you understand how people think and behave and you are willing to change how you communicate, it's amazing the difference in the result that you can get. And... Uh, I think I've got a wonderful marriage, our daughter, we get along wonderfully and and have avoided a lot of the pitfalls, I think, of other people because we chose to interact differently with one another.
0: So this presumes then that as I'm persuading people, I need to not only understand what I need, but also who the other person is and and what they expect and want and need.
2: Absolutely, because persuasion isn't about just getting what you want. Real persuasion ultimately ends in a win for both people. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, if you believe that your vision and strategy are the right strategy, you have to also uh, get other people to realize that too. And mm-hmm. we talk about persuasion quite often helps you make your good case better. Okay. So it, you may have a wonderful strategy vision, but if mm-hmm. you can't convey that to people in a way that gets them on board, it's all for naught. I may know that certain things at home are the right thing to do, you know, that whether it's eating healthy or exercising or studying any number of things that as you're raising your kids, you want them to do, but getting them to see that too is important so that they own it for themselves. And again, how you talk about those things can make all the difference between somebody feeling it's their decision versus you telling them what to do.
0: So that's a great lead into the next question. Um, how does persuasion differ from manipulation? Is it just trying to get people to do what I want? So I tell them what what I think they need to hear?
2: Well, it's interesting that manipulation, if it weren't for that one word, I wouldn't be sitting here today because I wouldn't have started a blog and I wouldn't be involved in the persuasion training. When Dr. Cialdini uh, did his presentation at Stanford, one thing that resonated with me is he talked about non-manipulative ways to get people to do things. He was very, very clear about that. So... After I watched that video, I signed up for Stanford's uh, marketing, and I got a marketing piece from them one day, and it said, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation. That was actually the headline for his video, and I recoiled because I thought, nobody wants to be manipulated, and nobody wants to learn how to manipulate people. So I actually sent an email to Stanford, and I said that. I said, "Um, I got your marketing flyer here I see that you're promoting Dr. Cialdini's video he's very clear about non manipulative ways to get people to do what we want and that word manipulation cannot be helping your sales nobody wants to be manipulated and I don't know anyone who wants to be known as a manipulator and so I sent that email to them and I never heard from Stanford but sometime later my phone rang and it was Dr. Cialdini's organization and they called and they said we wanted to thank you personally because you sent an email to Stanford and they're gonna change the marketing of our video And it was during the course of that conversation that the ball really got rolling and how I became connected with Dr. Cialdini and his organization. Now, when we talk about manipulation, a lot of times people equate persuasion to manipulation because their thought is just getting someone to do what they want. Mm -hmm. And and that's not true in the sense that manipulation quite often is one-sided. There's a wonderful quote from a book called The Art of Woo, which means winning others over. And it says, an earnest and sincere lover buys flowers and candy for the object of his affections. So does the cad, who only seeks to take advantage of another's heart. But when the cad succeeds, we don't blame the flowers and the candy. We rightly question his character. So flowers and candy are neither good nor bad. Mm -hmm. They're simply a tool that some people will use. But the intent, that's really what, what matters. When we understand what we call the principles of influence, Mm -hmm. these six psychological principles, they're neither good nor bad. They simply describe how people typically think and behave. How we use that information reveals something about our character. When we talk about ethical influence, we're talking about creating win-win situations, helping people see the benefits that are also for them and not just for us. We're talking about doing things in a truthful way, and we're talking about using these psychological principles in natural settings where they genuinely occur, not false... Scarcity, for example. Mm-hmm. We we know that scarcity is something that when people hear there's going to be less of something, they tend to want it more. Mm-hmm. And quite often, salespeople will create a false sense of scarcity just to get you to buy or make a decision. Mm-hmm. We're saying look for the principles that are naturally available, incorporate them into your language, and you'll have more success when it comes to persuading people.
0: That's great. So so it's really the character of the leader or the individual who's using persuasion not the persuasion technique itself
2: right the technique is simply a technique or or as they say just like flowers and candy they're neither good nor bad they Mm -hmm. can be used for wonderful purposes they can be used for very heinous things Mm -hmm. but it's the intent of that person and what are they trying to get you to do and why are they trying to get you to do it I can say that, you know, if I want my daughter to eat healthy, study more, it's because there are genuine benefits. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. for me, as a persuader, it's to bring those to the surface so she understands they're as good for her as they are for me. As a leader in an organization, it's the same thing if if, if I believe there are genuine benefits for everybody to uh, follow a particular strategy I need to understand how to best convey that and to get them on board with that.
0: Okay, perfect. So this ties back to our first show that talked about leadership mindsets and doing what is right over being right. So, so the idea that I really genuinely care about the people I'm leading and my mm-hmm. organization as well as getting my way. Mm-hmm. And most of us probably want to get what we want to get but doing it in a way that you pointed out that's win-win makes a very different experience for all of us
2: and if you use certain principles of influence for example the principle of liking we all know when people like us we can tell by their body language their tone of voice how they interact with us we can usually tell most people don't know how to make that happen so we talk about how to make that happen now the interesting thing is that An ethical persuader is not out to just get people to like them so that they can get them to do what they want. Mm -hmm. When I try to incorporate the principle of liking, I recognize that I want to like the people I work with. I want to like the vendors that I deal with. I want to like the people that I train. And if I seek to use the principle of liking, they will like me more but what happens is I actually come to like them more. Hmm. And when they see that, that's where everything changes. When they say, you know what, I believe Brian truly likes me and Brian really has my best interest at heart, now they're very open to what I may ask them to do. And it's not false because those principles have made me like them more as well.
0: So it sounds like then coming from a place of compassion and care, I want the best interest for everyone, shifting from, again, back to the ethical, I'm not manipulating... Especially in the parenting realm, having a a child who's healthy and exercising and, and studying is certainly much better for the child as well as for you, the
2: parent. Absolutely. And in an organization, if I think of the people that I train, do I want them to succeed? Absolutely. Do I want them to succeed for the company? Sure. That's why I'm employed there. That's what my job is. But even more so on a personal level, I want to see them succeed because I know that Their professional success also uh, impacts their personal happiness, too. If they're doing well on their job, if they've learned things that make them enjoy their job, enjoy their customers more, they're going to go home and they're also going to be happier. So it's a a 24-7 win for them. And so that really is much more the driver for me is I want to see people enjoy that professional success and personal happiness.
0: And that is certainly a win for both you and for the company. Absolutely. So I'd like to go to a break now, and then we're going to come back and talk about the, pers- the the specific principles of persuasion that you teach. So for those who are just joining us, thank you for listening to Voice America Radio. This is Inspiring Leaders, Driving Thriving Organizations, and our guest is Brian Ahern talking about the ethical persuasion, the ethical science of persuasion. So thank you very much, Brian, and we'll be back in just a moment.
3: Become our friend on
1: Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit metcalf-associates.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies.
0: Hi, and welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations on Voice of America Radio. We are with Brian Ahern today talking about the science of persuasion. And Brian, um, what are the principles of persuasion that you teach? Help us understand how we might, what might I take away from today?
2: Okay. Well, there are six what we call principles of influence. And these are all psychological concepts that have been around as long as human beings have been. They simply describe how people typically think and behave. So I have no doubt that your listeners will recognize these either as A, maybe they have seen themselves respond to them, or B, maybe they realize, oh, this is why people respond so well to me, because they recognize they're using one or more of these principles. So the first principle that I'd like to talk about, and I had started talking a little bit about before, is the principle of liking. So the principle of liking says that we prefer to say yes to those we know and like. Well, we all know that, right? It's easy to say yes to our friends. There's things that our friends will ask us that we will willingly say yes all the time. And a complete stranger, if they ask us, we would say no. And Think about it. it's The only difference is who's asking. It's not the request itself. So it's easier for us to say yes to the people that we know and like. If we can get people to like us, they will more willingly do what we want. But as I said before, the techniques that we talk about in terms of trying to get someone to like us actually work on us just as much and cause us to like them. And that's hmm. the real difference maker. Again, is if, if you know that I truly like you, you're very open to what I may ask of you and like me in return. So that's our first principle, principle of liking. The next principle that we talk about is the principle of reciprocity. So people feel obligated to give back to those who first give to them. Mm -hmm. Again, we recognize this because we learn it from the time that we're children. Some of the first words that parents teach children are thank you. So think about the conditioning that's happening as children. Someone does something for us, and we're taught to respond in some way. It's a thank you. Maybe as we get older, our parents say, that was nice that your grandmother did that. You should write her a letter. Or that's nice that this person did that. You should give them a call or buy them a gift. We learn more sophisticated ways to repay the favor, but it's ingrained in us from childhood that when someone does something, there's an expectation we should do something for them. Mm -hmm. When we understand that as persuaders, we look for ways that we can genuinely give and help other people, recognizing that those people will be very likely to want to give or help us if we need help in turn. Mm -hmm. I'm not a proponent of giving to get. I'm not gonna help you just so I can pull this lever and get Maureen to do whatever I want. I'm gonna help you because I think it's the right thing to do, because I like you, because you're my friend. There's all these reasons that I want to do that. But I know that down the road, if I need help and you have the right skill set, you're probably very willing to help me, and I feel very free to go and ask you, and we both have won. You've benefited from how I've given, I'll benefit from how you'll do that in return, and we're both better off because of it. So it's almost an abundance mindset as well, it, that, that exactly giving to you doesn't deplete me. Exactly. We were not ever really giving away something totally. And now, I I don't know. I may never have to come and ask you for a favor, but that's okay. But I know that if I need to, I've got that opportunity. Zig Ziglar once said, you can get everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. And what he recognized is if you help enough other people... You have all these resources that you can turn to and it's much easier for you to accomplish your goals because you can turn to all these people who have different skill sets and abilities to help you. So again, everybody ends up winning.
0: So as a leader of an organization, not that people are beholden to me, but getting to understand what my people care about and making sure that when I can, I give them what they want or need creates an environment of reciprocity when I need something
2: I, I am better positioned to ask. Yes. And, and even the things that we as leaders may have to ask people to do to help them see how that's beneficial for them, to help them see that the thing that they're working on right now, that skill that they're learning is going to help them Mm -hmm. In Whatever their next move is. And and a good leader should should always be looking to not only develop people so that they're the best they can be at their current job, Mm -hmm. but also be looking to the future, understand what their goals are and helping them to Mm -hmm. attain that. And so if in the midst of what you're doing on a daily basis is helping you be very, very effective, but also you see how it clearly helps you get ready for your Mm -hmm. future aspirations, you're going to go at it with a lot more um, Mm -hmm. vigor. And and then as a leader, I'm much better off, too, because I'm going to get better work. Everybody's winning, but I need to help them see that.
0: And, and there are also times that I need people to just do something that nobody wants to do. Not an unethical thing, but mm-hmm. here's a task. I know it's late. Everyone wants to go home. has to be done. If I have put money in the bucket, in essence, the emotional bank account or whatever we call it, yep. then people seem more willing to... Um, step up to do even what they're not excited about. Um, It it connects back, in my mind, to positive psychology. Absolutely. And working with a lot of my coaching clients, it's interesting how many people will say it's just their job rather than I've created an environment where we're all in this together and we want to support Mm -hmm. each other, not in a fluffy way necessarily, but in a a very hardcore last week when you needed this, I went to bat for you, and just creating, again, not a sense of obligation, but but that environment of reciprocity.
2: Right. So the individual I report to at State Auto, the vice president of sales, his name's John Petrucci. John's a fantastic manager, and there are times where he may walk by on a Friday afternoon at 2.30 or 3 and say, oh, well, how are things going, and I'll catch him up, and he'll go, just go home, start the weekend early. Mm. I appreciate that, you know, and I walk in the door, I can start the weekend a little bit early. And what I find though is when John sends a request at an off hour and we're all checking email at various times of the day, if I get an email on Sunday at nine o'clock from John, I'm gonna deal with it mm-hmm. because I appreciate how he's treated me. So he gets what he needs, I've gotten what I wanted, everybody wins. And so that's how a, a good leader positions mm-hmm. themselves. They they give and they also know that if they need help mm-hmm. they can fall back on that later and everybody feels better about the relationship
0: you know it seems so basic when you talk about it and yet i'm coaching a couple of leaders right now for whom this is not basic mm-hmm. it, it is an absolute new way of looking at how we interact with mm-hmm. one another
2: it makes sense because we're describing human behavior and and mm-hmm. and i can see how you nod and and you get it and i'm probably all of your listeners do but the application is always much harder than people think to to remember to be somebody who gives rather than somebody who just expects. Well, it's your job. Right. You're expected to do that. Um, we default back to these behaviors that we've been in for such a long time mm-hmm. that even though we get it, we don't actually always put it into practice. And that's what I work with people to do is to help them not only learn the concepts, but then how do we translate that into... Um, activities that will on the business level Mm -hmm. give more success on a personal level will give you that happiness
0: well and and part of it seems one many people haven't learned this and then the other is I'm busy I'm working crazy long hours Mm -hmm. to take the time to go walk around and ask someone how they're doing Mm -hmm. means it's adding hours to my day Mm -hmm. how do I get my head around the fact that the organization and I will be better off in the long term, even though I have to stay an extra half hour today. Well, I I,
2: I look at everything that we do as an investment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think t- to say that, well, now I have to stay an extra hour is kind of an expense mindset, which means mm-hmm. it goes away forever. When we think mm-hmm. about expenses, companies are always trying to cut expenses. But mm-hmm. good investments, they'll continue to make good investments all the time. By, by investing in people, by mm-hmm. managing, by wandering the, the floor, by going in and checking in with people, by, mm-hmm. by actively looking for ways to, to help them or to do things that will make them happier, productive employees, mm-hmm. costs time up front, but it will save time on the long run mm-hmm. because ultimately you'll probably get the things that you need. A better quality, probably get them faster because people will be working for you in a different way than they're working right now. So mm-hmm. it's not as if you're putting in this time that's just more time in the day. You'll ultimately, I think, see a, a much better return on it.
0: Mm-hmm. It certainly makes sense. So back to your point, I need to build a practice of doing that.
2: Absolutely. I, and almost put it on my Outlook
0: Reminders for the next month.
2: One of the things, uh, my wife used to sell jewelry at open-air markets and she was great because she would say, I want to take one of these principles today. Just let's take one and Mm -hmm. see how it works. And I'd say, okay, well, let's engage reciprocity. And as I would see opportunities, I would nudge her and say, okay, here's a real opportunity to to engage reciprocity. Mm -hmm. And then she would do that. And she would see tangible results. When people are willing to open their wallet and hand you cash, you know you're doing Mm -hmm. something right. Mm -hmm. And and so she would take it and consciously work it until it became something that was more natural for her. And then the next time she'd work Mm -hmm. something else. But sometimes we have to do that because... Persuasion's persuasion is a skill, and like any skill, the mm-hmm. more you do it, the better you get. And the more you do it, the more it becomes almost like muscle memory, and you don't have to think about it. It's mm-hmm. just how you kind of do things.
0: So as we think about developing any of the leadership skills, it's really practice.
2: Absolutely. Kind of but like you great. have an opportunity to practice 24-7 because you are trying to persuade people all day long. Uh, Daniel Pink, in his book, To Sell as Human, had done a survey of more than 7,000 business people, non-sales people, and asked the question, how much of your day is spent in, he called it non-sales selling, persuading, and the average came back 40%. Hmm. People in business say that they're spending about 40% of their day, so that's more than three hours a day trying to get people to do things. So if you're going to spend nearly half of your time doing something, it probably would serve you well to understand how to do that most effectively. And that's what I do when I teach people about persuasion.
0: And if I think about how much I do it by email, it's probably 80%
2: of my day. Yeah, email is another, it's just a different form of communication. Cool. So we've talked about the first two principles. There's six of them. So we'll move on to the the next one. Uh, Principle of authority. Principle of authority tells us that people defer to those that they see as having superior knowledge or wisdom. Mm -hmm. We we all know that. That's why some of us hire accountants, because we know that they're better with accounting Mm -hmm. than we are. We go to lawyers if we need legal advice. We go to doctors if we have medical questions. Many of these things we could do on our own. Mm -hmm. I could go to WebMD.com. I could go to find a a lawyer site and and try to Mm -hmm. figure out the law myself. But I know that it saves a lot of time. A lot of effort, and they'll probably do it much better. The thing is, a lot of times people don't really understand that somebody may be an authority and something. Mm-hmm. And so, something as simple as, for example, when you read my bio, people might have initially thought, "Well, who's this guy, Brian Ahern? Why do I want to listen to him on this subject?" Well, once they understand that there's only 20 people in the world who do what I do, or that 200 or people in 200 company, countries are reading my blog, it adds credibility. So Mm -hmm. by them simply knowing that up front, that makes a difference as to how much they're gonna pay attention. And so we talk about how do we get our authority in front of people or how do we borrow authority from others so that we are more credible? Another, so another example, you know, I've quoted Zig Ziglar, quoted Daniel Pink, Mm -hmm. quoted Aristotle. (laughs) Uh, those, for many people, many of your listeners, those are familiar names. That adds to my credibility, mm-hmm. too. So there's lots of little things that we can do that all of a sudden make people pay more attention. And if they pay more attention, they're more likely to do what we want. Okay. So that's the, the principle of authority. Um, principle of consensus, most people know this one because their mom and dad talked about it when they were young. It was called peer pressure. Mm. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to see their kids get involved with sex, drugs, drinking, any number of things. That, as a parent, they thought this could lead to a bad consequence. And they were afraid of the pressure, the social pressure they were going to feel from their peers. Well, as we get older, we may not be tempted in some of those same things that, that teenagers face. But we are affected by what other people do. And we call it consensus. Sometimes it's known as social proof, but we are heavily impacted by the behaviors that we observe other people doing. Mm -hmm. There's that thought that, well, if everybody's doing it, it probably is the right thing to do. And that's why you see things like bestseller or you see people Mm -hmm. consulting Amazon ratings because we feel more comfortable moving in a direction when we see that other people have moved in that direction and have had positive things to say about it. And so we look for, an effective persuader looks for ways to convey that information. So, so as a leader, uh, as we're
0: trying to move in a different direction, I might talk about a competitor using this strategy and how effective they've been.
2: Absolutely. Okay. And, and when you can talk about m- multiple competitors, the, the mm-hmm. more that people are doing something, the more it gives a sense to somebody else that this might, might be the right thing to do. Maybe I should be moving in that direction as well.
0: So it could even overcome my inner bias that this seems silly, but if I see that all of our competitors are doing it, it may seem like the right thing to do.
2: Absolutely. There's okay. the old adage, keeping up with the Joneses. There's a reason for that <coughs> because okay. people people feel that social pressure of, of moving along. They don't want to be left behind. There's that doubt that if everybody's doing it and we don't, maybe we fall behind. So we look for ways to honestly incorporate that information into our conversation, and it makes people—it makes it easier for people to say that's probably the right thing to do. So how do I deal with?
0: I want to get ahead of the Joneses. So so I'm setting an organizational strategy that will position us, me, or us as unique. Um, And having a a differentiated capability. Because one of the things we're talking about in the show is, as the world is changing so dramatically, organizations that can leverage those transitions or gaps will be the ones that um, move ahead, and yet it seems like there is a balance of... Uh, leveraging consensus and also mm-hmm.
2: differentiation.
0: How does that work well, for you?
2: Well, an organization can leverage consensus by talking about their customer base. Okay. But <clears throat> they may be drawing in that customer base also because of, in sales, it's called a unique selling proposition. Okay. Um <clears throat> By talking about who you are and what you do in a way that sets you apart and makes you unique is sometimes a compelling reason for people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. So again, going back to the authority that I mentioned before, um, if you know that there are only 20 people in the world who do something, mm-hmm. then people are more compelled to pay attention to that. Um, <clears throat> that's a form of scarcity, right? If everybody <laughs> was doing what I what I do, then it wouldn't be um, special. special to have me here on, on the show. So the principle that that ties into is called the principle of scarcity. And this principle says that um, when something's rare or diminishing, people tend to want it more. Mm I mean, this is exactly why people see ads that say, you know, sale ends Sunday, and all of a sudden their behavior changes. They get off the couch and they go to the store. Now, they might say, well, I'm just going to look around. It sounds like it's a good sale, and they end up buying something. And they probably never would have gone to the store if they hadn't seen sale ends Sunday. So... People hate to lose out on what they see as potential opportunities. And and talking about your organization in a way that sets it apart and makes it unique starts to give people some thought, hmm, if I don't do business with Maureen's organization, I may lose something. There's lots of companies that may do what she's doing, but she's doing it in a way that's a little bit different enough that I lose something if I don't go along with her. And your challenge as a persuader then is, can I talk about that? in a way that gets people to say, that's what I want to do. I don't want to lose out on that opportunity with Maureen and her organization.
0: So I'm combining then these principles of authority and consensus. Absolutely. That if I, if Maureen offers something special, or Brian offers something special, or our or our company or organization offer a solution that fills a niche that is just emerging, and yet we can still leverage the fourth principle of consensus that that by using this, I as the consumer will um, be positioned effectively with my with my peers or if it's a business to business organization that i'll be positioned maybe better against my competition absolutely so perfect we are going to go on break this is voice america radio inspiring leaders driving thriving organizations and our guest is brian Ahern talking about the science of persuasion we'll be back shortly
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. We hear
3: it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy?
0: innovative leaders, driving, thriving organizations. Our guest is Brian Ahern, and we're talking about the science of persuasion. So Brian, we've covered five of the six principles. Can you give us the last one?
2: So the last principle that we talk about is called the principle of consistency. And the principle of consistency says that people feel internal psychological pressure as well as external social pressure to be consistent in what they say and what they do. And I like to boil this down to word and deed, Mm -hmm. People feel better about themselves when their words and deeds match up. You know, if your listeners think of a time where they gave their word to somebody that they'd be somewhere or do something and then they had to back out, even if their reasons were legitimate and their friend or the other person understood, most people don't feel good about doing that. In fact, when I ask audiences, how did you feel when you had to tell that person you couldn't do what you said you'd do, you hear heavy emotional words like awful, terrible, Hmm. guilty, Well, nobody wants to feel awful, terrible, or guilty. So people work very hard to be consistent in what they say and what they do. And if we can get someone to commit to something, to say, yes, I will, the odds that they'll actually do it go up rather dramatically. Because on the flip side, most people can think of a time, or many times, where they did something, they may not have wanted to do it, but they did it because they told someone they would. Mm -hmm. that, That drove them to do that. And so that's the principle of consistency.
0: So, so, can you give an example either of um, expanding on consistency or, or just walk us through an example where you've applied this in a business setting uh, where, where you may have been using multiple principles uh, to drive value? Okay.
2: Well, one, one story that, that happened seemed to re- always resonate with people. And here's the situation. Um, five or six years ago, I had been on an extended Christmas break. When I came back from that break, Within the first week of being back in the office, I was called into a meeting with five or six other people, and here's the situation that we faced. Our company had accidentally overpaid insurance agents in one of our operating states. It was a $700,000 error, where in the month of December, we had doubled the commission for 150 different agents. Now, we couldn't press a button and electronically get that money back, and so as we strategized how are we going to go about getting this money back, it came down to the home office accounting manager was going to have to send a letter to each of the 150 agents to say, please sit down and write us a check for $4,000, 8000 10000 as soon as possible because we overpaid you. At well, Christmas. Okay. Yeah, right around the holidays. And so that's not going to be high on the priority list. You, know, you get this letter that says you owe $5,000. It's probably not what you're going to sit down and take care <laughs> of first. And we knew that that was going to probably be the case. Well, the interesting thing was I had done some training for the accounting department the prior summer. And knowing that they had to do things the old-fashioned way, sometimes they had to physically put mail in envelopes and send it and ask people to, to do things, I shared with them a study having to do with all, all things sticky notes. Believe it or not, utilizing sticky notes can, can increase the response rate when you ask somebody to do something dramatically. So there was a study that I had shared with them, and in this study, uh, social psychologists wanted to see if they could impact people's response rate to a survey. And so what they did was they sent the survey out a cover letter to a group of people and a third of the people got the cover letter had clear instructions what the survey was and why they should take it. And 36 percent of the people who got that letter took the survey. Now wanting to see if personalizing it made a difference to another group they sent out the exact same cover letter but they wrote a quick note by hand on that cover letter. So all of a sudden it's a little more personalized Mm -hmm. and the people who got that, 48% took the survey. So in a business result to go from 36 to 48%, that's a 33% increase for doing nothing more than taking a few moments to sign each of those letters and put a little personal note. Exactly. Now with the third group, they sent the same survey letter, wrote the same handwritten note, but they did it on a yellow sticky note. And Mm -hmm. 75% of the people took the survey more than doubled the response rate. Wow. And there was another independent study that verified doubling the response rate with the sticky note. So I had taught them that. And I turned to my friend Steve, who's the home office accounting manager, as we talked about this letter. And I said, Steve, remember the sticky note study? And he said, yeah. And I said, if you don't have time to sign every one of those letters with a sticky note, call me, I'll come do it. And he said, no, I'll do it. So a few weeks go by, I call him up and I said, Steve, how's the collection going? And his exact words were, I'm floored. And I go, why? And he said, we've already gotten money back in full from 130 of, a, of the 150 agents. In how long? In just a few weeks. Wow. And, and, and at the optimist in me, I said, we didn't get it all back. <laughs> and he did what you just did he <laughs> laughed he goes come on we're talking about money here he he said I fully expected many of them to say it's your mistake you fix it take it out of next month's commission put me on a payment plan anything except sit down and write that check in full he goes I'm floored and uh, a few months after that we had lunch and I said so how did it end up and he said we ended up getting money back from 147 of the 150 in full well wow. so he's he is now a believer Because he he sees people, he deals with money all the time, and he sees the the difference that it made. The fact that he said, I'm floored, was enough for me to know. That made a huge difference, and our company was happy. To get that money back and to get it back quickly, to recover from that error, was, was huge.
0: So I'm thinking, because I am involved with the National Public Radio Organization, how might they use sticky notes to increase their fundraising?
2: Well, if they're sending things out, if they're putting things in the mail mm-hmm. by, by simply putting a sticky note there and, and actually signing it, that's going to increase their response rate. Now, I can't guarantee that it's going to double it, but mm-hmm. every study I've ever seen says it's going to increase because the, the psychology behind it is the reciprocity. If I do something for you, you feel obligated to do something. When you see somebody goes a little bit above and beyond mm-hmm. and, and putting a handwritten note or, or taking the time to get that sticky note and put it on and, and write mm-hmm. that hand tends to convey to people that something more has taken place. Now, the interesting thing is no person is going to say, well, I sent some money in or I took the survey because there was a sticky note. They'll all deny that it had anything to do with it, but so much of this psychology takes place at the subconscious level. But you can't deny that when twice as many people do something in two independent studies, that that factor, that sticky note, had something to do with that change in, in the response rate.
3: Hey, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Brian's been talking about the power of persuasion and and the process, and I realize that State Auto has made a significant investment in Brian training a large um, part of your business. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about the business value that this persuasion training has provided?
4: Sure, absolutely. We've got about 600 claim professionals in our claim organization at state auto, and uh, when, you know when a policyholder or an agent is involved in a claim issue or a claim event it 's not a highlight of their their life yeah. they 've had an automobile accident they 've had a fire in their kitchen or a water pipe break they 've had something happen that has disrupted their life, and you know that 's what state auto is about is to help people bring uh, uh, to, to get back to the pre-loss condition that they were in. So the the powers of persuasion that Brian teaches we've had all of our claim people go through it and it's really to help them understand what the process is and how we're going to do it. But to do it in a, uh, to have the conversation with the policyholder that they can understand and they can get their head around and help them get to the point where they understand that things are going to be okay. So, you know, when we use some of the, some of the, uh, uh, the skill sets or the elements that Brian has talked about it helps us create for the policyholder and helps them buy into the expectation of what's going to happen throughout the claim process, how the claim is going to proceed, how the payments are going to be made, how the contractors are going to help them put the house back together, how the uh, how the claim is going to be settled from a bodily injury standpoint and the medical standpoint, and it really helps put them at ease, and it helps them get to the point where they can say yes, uh, and that they understand, and that they feel better about the whole process.
3: That's wonderful. Thank you. Having, having been one of those policyholders who has um, more than once, once was a house flood, and, and the idea that my home would ever return to a condition like it was before this thing started was incredibly comforting for me, and having an insurance company where the claims person was able to just be empathetic. Um, yeah,
4: you know, it's, it's a noble profession that claim adjusters have, and they've got a really they've got an opportunity to really, really help people that are in despair, and uh, it's, it's, it's why I've done it for over 30 years.
3: Thank you. It, it does sound like the work you do makes a huge impact on the lives of policyholders, and also the life of your claims people.
4: Right? As yeah, a matter of fact, we survey policyholders on a quarterly basis, and we have an independent company that will actually go out and uh, phone a 1,000 of our policyholders who have had a claim that's settled and resolved in the last quarter last three months, and uh, what we've seen is since we've had Brian in and do his training uh, on the principles of persuasion, we've seen a two- to three-point lift in our customer satisfaction scores, and, and that that's a remarkable number.
3: And I'm assuming that then customer satisfaction ties to customer retention and profitability from a business leadership perspective,
4: yeah, there's really three points in the insurance process that uh, that uh touch the customer. And I'm going to tell you the biggest one is if they have a claim, and it's the most memorable one. And we actually ask our policyholders if they would recommend us to a friend or family member. Think about the dynamic there. Would you recommend solely on your claim experience, state auto to a friend or family member? And that number comes in above 95% consistently.
3: Wow, that that is amazing. Thank you so much, Steve, for sharing your experience with us and and also just for the work you do. It it is heartening to to talk to a leader who uh, is committed to making such a significant impact.
4: Well, thank you very much for the time. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks.
0: Let's wrap up. Um, Can you kind of summarize... Why, as a so we've got listeners who are leaders and emerging leaders. What would you like them to take away with regard to the science of persuasion? And we've asked them at the beginning. What are a couple of things that they might do to to apply over the next week or month, hmm. just to practice? What, what would you recommend?
2: Well, first, I would I would end by saying what we started with your professional success much of your professional success is contingent on your ability to get people to do the things that you need them to do as a leader a uh, tremendous amount of your personal happiness depends on how you interact with people in your home life and getting them mm-hmm. to do things to avoid conflict so uh, and the fact too that as daniel pink pointed out people are spending upwards of 40 percent of their time trying to get others to do things trying mm-hmm. to persuade them this is something that, that people should look at and say I should probably learn how to do this. What I always recommend to people is you don't try to eat an elephant all at one time. You do it one bite at a time. Take one concept that we talked about. Take one of those six principles and look for ways to ethically engage that principle. Take note of the response that you're starting to get because people, when you see that people start responding in a better way... You're going to naturally continue to look for more ways to, to do that. And then when you get comfortable with that, start moving on to something else and try that. And, and just begin practicing with these in a, in a very specific way so that you can see how people respond. And you'll convince yourself that this actually works and is something that you should spend more time on because it's ultimately going to help you with that professional success. success.
0: So tell us what your blog address is, Mm -hmm. and I understand, because I've done it, Mm -hmm. that I can just sign up, and then every week when you write a blog post, I receive it.
2: Right. It's uh, influence-people-brian at blogspot.com. Okay. And if you go to the upper right, there's a place you can put in your email address, and then you'll get a weekly email. Uh, Every Monday at 5.30 Eastern Time, a new post goes out. Uh, The email usually goes out on Tuesday morning. And um, I have guest writers from around the world. There are some other Chaldini trainers in different countries. So you get a flavor for how influence works in other parts of the world. Perfect. And uh, yeah, I would encourage people to go out there because I'll write about business issues. Sometimes I write specifically about sales, parenting, social issues, just anything that, that intrigues me where I see the principles are at work and try to help people understand them.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So we, I will also have a blog post from Brian on my website. So if you don't um, didn't catch his uh, address, you can always go to metcalf-associates.com um, and search for Brian Ahern. So again, we are Voice America Radio, innovative leaders, driving, thriving organizations. Thank you very much for joining today. Um, I want to hear your feedback on how you've applied these ideas. So if you take one of Brian's principles and you've uh, found it helpful, write to me at in. Info at metcalf-associates.com and I might read your message on air and I'll also certainly share it with Brian so he can hear um, direct user feedback about how these principles have helped you in your uh, business and personal life. So again, consider the impact innovative leaders make on the world. We've talked about working and living in a time of dramatic change. Imagine uh, what we can do by improving ourselves. So things like learning and applying the art of persuasion, and how that will help us navigate the complexity that we're facing now, and that's going to increase over the next number of years. So how can understanding and applying persuasion in an ethical way um, enable you to be a better leader of the transformations that you're shepherding, irrespective of your level in the organization? So again, thank you for joining, and have a wonderful afternoon.